And Jesus is in a setting, and John 7 is going to require a little backdrop. So we've got all the kids with us today, students with us today, Thanksgiving weekend. So here's what I need you to do. Just, just stay with me for the first like five to ten minutes of this message. I promise, kids, I'm coming to your neighborhood. So I promise we'll get there. But we need a little backdrop to the significance of what Jesus is going to declare here in John 7. So the setting for John 7 is the Feast of Tabernacles. So if you haven't pulled out your app yet, fired up your notes from that, or got your bulletin notes out, you'll notice at the top of the sheet it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, John 7, 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, the feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. And that means it was an autumn festival. The Feast of Tabernacles was significant for this purpose. It was done in the fall to celebrate agriculturally that God had come through and the people could survive another year. The land had produced its crop. God had provided rain. The land has brought forth the fruit from the land. And so the people were rejoicing. So every fall they would have, they said, if you were a Jew within 15 miles of Jerusalem, you were required to come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jews came from much farther than that around. So you just need to picture hundreds and thousands of them coming. And then theologically, here's what it represented. Theologically, it represented the 40-year desert wandering. When God extracted the people from Egyptian slavery, and they were making their way to the promised land, and it took them a shade longer than they envisioned. Instead of a three-week journey, which would have been the direct route, it was a 40-year, five-desert journey. Not a bad commentary on life, right? So a 40-year, five-desert wandering, and they would come to Jerusalem. And here's what they would build. These are the booths that they would build. So all around Jerusalem, the people would come and they would assemble these with kind of the plants and the tree structures around. And they would make, you need to picture downtown Indianapolis covered with booths. So it was called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles to represent theologically that God had protected and provided for them. He had guided them, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. He had come through for them. So the Feast of Tabernacles was a big deal. And then once a day during the first six days of the feast, the priests would get together and they would have what they called a water ceremony. So there'd be like a golden pitcher. I have a picture of a golden pitcher and they would go down to the Guyan Spring. So they would go from the northern part of the city down. It's a descending walk down to the southern part of Jerusalem to the Guyan Spring. And on this walk, there would be a large crowd of people. At the front of the crowd would be a choir. And it would be like their worship team. So their worship team and their choir were mobile. They were walking. They were chanting. And they were singing Isaiah 12, 3. With joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. So they'd take that golden pitcher down to that well, the Guyan Spring. And they would pull up this water. With joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. And then there's another slide, I think, here that has this picture of, like, the priests would carry palm branches, citrus branches in hands, and they would wave them, and they'd be chanting, and they'd be singing Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And they'd be doing that to represent that the land had produced crops, and that there had been provision again, and that God had come through, and that there was protection through the tabernacle and the booth. There was all this imagery, and then they would take the water, and they would walk back up, the temple. So they'd go uphill to the temple, back up to the, the northern part of the city, and that's where your, your Bible has Psalms of Ascent. That's where the Psalms of Ascent are often read and sung and prayed while the people are walking from the lower part to the upper part. The priests would get there. There would be crowds. There would be 
family units. There would be thousands of people. He would get to the top of the altar area. He would take the golden pitcher and he would dump it out over the altar. And it was a praise that God had provided. He had come through. And then it was a plea, God, send rain again on the land. See that? So once a day, for the first six days, that water ceremony happened. Now get this. What does the text say in John 7, 37? On the last and greatest day of the feast, on that day, the seventh day, they did that water ceremony seven times. So Jesus, being the masterful teacher he was, he intercepts a teaching moment in the middle of a seven-fold water procession. And here's what he stands up and says, which gets to the heart of where we're going today. Jesus stood in a loud voice and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now that phrase at the end there, you can circle in your Bibles, within him. Actually, some of your translations may say, in your belly will flow rivers of living water. It's actually the word for gut. It's the word for inmost place. And do you know that scientists have discovered there's actually a brain in your gut? Did you know that? There's actually neurons that fire off in your digestive tract that are kind of connected to the experience you're having in life around you. This is why sometimes we use phrases like, there's a knot in my stomach. And usually that's tied to you're going through some circumstances that are really difficult. This is why when you're going through tremendous grief and loss, you have no appetite, which makes no sense if you haven't eaten for multiple days. Any other time when life is fairly normal and you don't eat for a day or two, you're starving. But your brain and your gut, the inmost place at times says, hey, you know what? There's a kind of grief and a loss that says, I, I don't want to eat right now. I don't have an appetite for that. Or the other side of it is you're experiencing what the boys experienced on Friday night. There were butterflies in the stomach pregame in those locker rooms, no doubt. And there was a joy that came from the inmost place when they accomplished the state title, right? That's this inmost place. So Jesus says, from the belly, from the inside, from that deep place, there is a kind of life available that he calls living water. Now, if you were growing up in the Middle East, and you were surrounded by sand, right? Not Indiana, but you need to think desert-type conditions. You need to think heat was maximum, water was scarce. And if you were to find, think living water, think flowing water. When you found a source of flowing water, you found life, sustainable life. No flowing water, no life. Jesus knew that's why the water ceremony was so significant. That's why they would gather, and they would do this seven times a day, because it was so meaningful that God had sent rain, that they had found flowing water, sustainable life, and they would sing lines like this. This is why your Old Testament is filled with scriptures like this one from Psalm 114. Tremble, O earth. They would have been singing this on the water procession. At the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. So they're singing about a God who turns rocks into rivers. Do you know that, God? That Jesus can turn those hard, rocky places into a stream and a pulsating river of water. That's what they're singing about. That's what they're representing. That's the celebration they're having. And then Isaiah says it this way, Isaiah 35. They would have been singing about these lines. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. 
the thirsty ground bubbling springs. So you see what they're exalting through this whole ceremony. And Jesus is stepping forward in the middle of this water procession and saying, Hey, I want to proclaim to you a kind of life where rocks are turned into rivers, where burning sands turn into bubbling springs. It's a kind of life where living water can flow from the gut, the inmost place. And he says all of that to set up a declaration and a connection in verse 39. So he gives all that as a backdrop. He leverages this moment to make this statement in verse 39. By this, he meant the Spirit. Notice that in your Bibles, capital S. Whom, tho- tho- whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So all of that was to set up the connection between living water and the Holy Spirit. Because up until this point in the gospel storyline, right, the Holy Spirit had been an external influence on the people of God. But Jesus is foreshadowing the day when he's going to be crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven. And then Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. And what's been an external influence is going to become an indwelling presence. Do you see the connection here? So Jesus is saying, hey, he's getting water ceremony. No water, no life. No Jesus, no living water. No living water, no Holy Spirit. And you see what? Do you see why they wanted to put Jesus on a cross? What was last week in John 6? He's standing before the people and saying, I've got living bread that comes down from heaven. If you eat this bread, you'll live forever. And then what did he say? I am the living bread. And now Jesus is saying, hey, there's living water that will provide sustainable life that will turn rocks to rivers, burning sand to bubbling brooks. There's living water available. And he says, now you come to me to receive that living water. So you get this picture all through John's gospel where Jesus is coming, standing forth and saying, I am the living bread. I am the living water. I am offering a kind of life available to you that no one else could offer, which is why ultimately they put him on a cross because they grasped what he was claiming. And so what I want to do with the remainder of our time as we kind of prepare ourselves to go to the table is I want to look at two characteristics of what we, want, what we want to call today living water life. So if you want this kind of life, it's available to anyone. And here's two kind of qualities about how do you know you're drinking from this living water? How do you know it's really pulsating deep down in here? The first one comes from verse 37 when Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty. There's this paying attention to the ache of incompleteness in life. Have you felt this ache? There's this, there's this reality of a sacred thirst in the human experience. To be human is to live with a deep-seated sacred thirst. Now here's the challenge. To be human is to often look to the wrong sources to quench the thirst. So here's what we do as people, as humans. We're born with this propensity to take this thirst. We have a burning sand reality. We have rock-like insides. And there's something thirsty. It's a sacred thirst. If God has planted it there. And we take that thirst and we run to all the wrong sources trying to quench it. So we'll try to build a career and we'll make a name for ourselves and we'll produce and achieve and accomplish and create. And as wonderful as your career can be, there's this lining of incompleteness even when you're at your peak in the career world. What is that? It's a sacred thirst. 
Or then you look to, you know what, I just need to find that significant other. I need to find a spouse and build a family and have kids and marriage. And no matter how wonderful your marriage is, and no matter beautiful your children are, and no matter how fulfilling that family unit is, there's still this kind of lining of incompleteness. Even the best of family units, even James Dobson and his family unit would have a lining of incompleteness who writes all the parenting books. What is that? It's a sacred thirst. Or even take it to financial possessions, right? You can go and say, I want to I just say more zeros and commas in the bank account. I want to acquire things. I want to accomplish things. I want to earn things. I want to provide as good as it is to provide for a family, as good as it is to have some kind of security and build 401ks. There's a lining of incompleteness that happens there no matter how many zeros and commas you accomplish. That's a sacred thirst. It even happens in ministry. Sometimes you get a passion and where you're just like, you know, I want to give back. I want to serve God. I want to help others. As good as it is to serve the kingdom of God, do you know that even when you're giving your best in serving, there can be a lining of incompleteness there, a sacred thirst, even in the middle of the ministry. And here's the key. When you, when you put pressure on all the wrong sources to extract out a quenching of your thirst that they could never provide, do you see the you see, it kind of squeezes the life out of everything. When you put pressure on your work and career to be something for you that God never intended, you're never going to be satisfied in that work and career because you're trying to quench something out of that. Your work can only be your work as important as it is. Same thing happens in marriage, right? You get married, you expect, you come to the altar, right? You find the ex that person and you're united as husband and wife and you just think, this person is going to complete me is going to heal me and fix me and redeem me and all these things. And then you wake up shortly after the honeymoon and go, that's clearly not happening. Exactly. Even the best of marriages and the best of kids, there's this, you can't put, your spouse can only ever be your spouse. Your spouse cannot be your Messiah. Your kids cannot be your Messiah. Your kids cannot heal you, fix you, redeem you. They can't complete you. If you're looking to your family unit to complete you, you're going to live with a constant state of incompleteness. It's sacred thirst. So we take this, we try to squeeze out of the experiences of life what Jesus has placed there to point us back to what he's saying in John 7. All of those, that lining of incompleteness, he wants us to stay with that. And it's actually kind of, it's kind of, Harken back 700 years before, it's like the greatest invitation in the Old Testament is Isaiah 55's invitation. Picture Jesus having this in his mind when he's standing up at the water ceremony. Isaiah 55 says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches of bread. I think Jesus had that in mind. 700 years before he's on the scene, Isaiah wrote those words. And so Jesus says, hey, is there anybody who's thirsty? If anyone is thirsty, here's the invitation. You come. You bring your thirst to the only one who can deal with it at its core, the source of living water that can flow from the inmost place. You bring that thirst to him. And then from that 
base. Right. You build a career, you build a family, you handle your finances, you serve the kingdom of God. You serve from the source of living water that flows in here. You don't look for that source out there. And when you put so much pressure on that, that's where the tensions and struggles come in all of it. So the first reality of living water life is this. Guys, we've got to stay with this desire. We've got to stay with this longing, this kind of internal gnawing restlessness. If you wonder where that comes from, where there's this like relentless pursuit for what's next, you're kind of always sniffing around for something to look forward to on the calendar. What is all of that? That's a God-given gift. If we'll stay with it, that'll lead us to the spring of living water that can touch the inmost place. I put in your notes a quote from Ruth Haley Barton. When was the last time you felt it, she asks, your own longing, that is. You're longing for love. You're longing for God. You're longing to live your life as it's meant to be lived in God. When was the last time you felt a longing for healing and fundamental change growing within you? Don't rush past this question. It may be the most important question you ever ask. So as amazing as it is to have a two-way state championship week like those guys had and all their families, as great as all that was, what's so cool is when you talked, right, those who are followers of Jesus in the core of a championship team, here's what they see. They see it's something bigger than just that moment. That's the key, right? It's an act of worship given up to God and that you get to experience the joy of that. It's not that those things don't matter. It's that it's got to be housed under a greater glory and goodness. That's the whole point. That's why I stand up at the water ceremony and saying, hey, you haven't tasted joy. The priests would teach this. The rabbis would teach, you haven't tasted true joy in life until you tasted the joy of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, I'm going to offer you something that no other experience in life can offer you, but you've got to come to me with your thirst. Which cycles right in then to the second reality of this living water life, right? There's this paying attention to this ache of incompleteness. Stay with it. Don't settle for less than what Jesus offers. That's why that ache is there. Stay with it. And then secondly, you know you've, you're drinking from this stream of living water when there's this consumed with Christ reality of your life. So someone who's filled with the Spirit of God is a person who's consumed with Christ. You know someone who's full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit? They can't get enough of Jesus. They want to spend time with Him. They want to become like Him. They want to learn about Him. They want to serve Him. They just want to be about the things that Jesus is about. That comes from what? Someone who's drinking from the stream of living water. You want to live for Christ. You want to serve Christ. You want to honor Christ. You want to do everything in His name and for His glory. You've come to the conclusion when you drink of this stream of living water, you know you've met it. When you can say with the Apostle Paul what he said in Colossians 3, I put it in your notes, when Paul said this, when Christ who is my life, isn't that a great line? When Christ is your life, that's when you know you have met this stream of living water. Christ has become your life. He's more than anything or anyone could be. He's offering you something no one else could offer. He's offering you life, capital L. And when you come to him as your life, and when you seek him as your life, that's when you know, huh, there's a living water reality going. It's pulsating from deep within there. It turns those places of rock into rivers. It turns burning sand into bubbling brooks when he becomes your life. 
So church, are you thirsty today? Is anyone thirsty? Jesus stands before, he says, you've come to me with your thirst. Are you tired of spending your money on what's not bread? Are you tired of laboring on what doesn't satisfy? You come to me and I'll give you life. The kind of life that flows and doesn't stop. This is a stream that has no end. And it's a, it's a kind of life that will carry you through all the seasons of this life, all the ups and downs and everywhere in between. And when you get to the end of this one and only life, and you take your last breath here, you take your first breath in glory, and you'll live that life for eternity. That's what he's offering, a living bread, a living water, flowing water, sustainable life. Then you come to me, and you can have all of that. So many of you may remember the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks' movie. Do you guys remember the setup on that movie? It's it about a FedEx employee named Chuck, Chuck Nolan whose plane crashes deserted desert island, kind of in the middle of nowhere in the tropics, and he lives there for four years by himself. So Tom Hanks plays this role, won all kinds of awards for his acting in it. Well, there's this scene. I, I, I found this scene. Here's a picture. Tom Hanks finds a leaf that has a droplet, two droplets of fresh water on it, and he's collecting them. Church, I want you to look at his face. The way Tom Hanks is yearning and looking, I mean, can you just see that? Like, the expression he has right there for finding those two droplets of fresh water, that's what it means for those of us who are pursuing Jesus. You know you found that source of living water when your response to Jesus is like Tom Hanks' response to that water right there. You know you found it. And my encouragement to you today is you stay with the desire until you find that. So worship team is going to come up. Here's how we're going we're gonna to kind of set up our time at the communion table. Guys, come on back up. I want you to view the communion table this morning as your personal feast of tabernacles. This is your own, I want you to view the table as your personal feast of tabernacles. This is your little desert booth morning, okay? In just a moment, you're going to get up and you're going to walk over and you're going to tear off some of the bread to represent his broken body and you're going to dip it into the juice to represent his shed blood. And in that, here's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm taking my sacred thirst to the source who can do something about it. This table says this is where you go to quench the thirst. This is Jesus standing before you say, hey, you come to me. Maybe you've been looking for all kinds of solutions in all kinds of places. You come to me. I will give you life. And this table says that's where this life is purchased. His broken body, his shed blood. And you bring your thirst there. So in a sense, this is kind of your like little personal water procession when you get up and you walk to the table. I want you to think about Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, we will draw waters from the wells of salvation. With joy, we're coming to this communion table. Christ's body's been broken. His blood has been shed for me. There's freedom available. There's forgiveness available. There's grace available. There's life and healing available. It doesn't matter what you've walked in here with. It doesn't matter what you're staring at at the end of 2018. This table says you can come. So you come with joy to say, Lord, I come because you say you offer me life. You don't have to be a member of Eagle Church. 
But here's what you need to be. You need to be a follower of Jesus to come to the table. Like by you coming to the table, you're saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. And maybe you're going to give your life to him for the first time this morning. You can pray and receive Christ as you're coming to the table. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me and save me. I recognize my thirst has taken me to all kinds of the wrong sources. And today I just want to confess it. Wrong sort. Now I'm going to come to the right source. I'm coming to you. And you can take communion for the first time. So I want you to think about maybe those places on the inside that you would call, you got some rock-like stuff in here? You got some burning sand stuff in here? Bring your burning sand to the table. Jesus can make it a bubbling spring. Bring it authentically. Whatever the rock is, he can turn it into a river. But you got to come to him by faith and say, Jesus, only you can do this. And maybe some of you want to come for some prayer as a part of our time in communion. You come to the prayer areas here, all places to kneel. If you want to pray by yourself, you want to pray with someone. We believe God still heals today. You know, the scripture says that by his stripes we're made whole. So we often are praying for physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing while we're coming to the table. Why? Because it's a symbol. The healing's purchased by the broken body and the shed blood. So perhaps you want to come and kneel and ask for some prayer that way. And then another thing you can do during the communion time, some of you weren't a part of our trust cross exercise, right, from a couple weeks ago. And there's some extra envelopes there. And there's some pens there. And there's a blank index card with each envelope. And we just, we just each took a couple weeks ago, we each took something. That's what the cross is filled with. One thing we believe God is saying to us, hey, trust me with this. And we wrote it on that index card. We put it in the envelope. We sealed the envelope. And we laid it or pinned it. We ran out of places to pin, so now they're just laid. You just lay them there at the base of the cross. And that's another symbol. So maybe that's something you want to do as a part of you coming to the table this morning. Is Maybe you want to take a, another act of trust. Or maybe there's something else that's happened. Some of you are like, yeah, I need to lay another trust envelope down. We'll do it. Lay another trust envelope down if you want to. But the key is, here's the key, gang. When you walk away from that, get this. You don't take your envelope over to that table. You leave it right there. You with me? And you go to the table as an act of trust, as an act of worship, that he says, I will come through for you. I am enough for you. Can we do that together? So this is our Feast of Tabernacles, right? You've been feasting all through Thanksgiving week. Well, now we feast at the Lord's table. And we're going to call it the spring of living water. Because Jesus says, is anyone thirsty? Are you thirsty today? You come to him. He'll provide a quenching reality on the inside in the inmost place that no one else offers. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us, and then you're going to be dismissed to the table. Jesus, thank you for your invitation that you say, come. We are a thirsty people. There's burning sand. There's rock-like. There's some desert places. We bring it to you. Say, oh, spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. We need a fresh filling of that stream of living water from the inmost place. Bring it today, oh God. As we come to the table, we do so remembering the ways you've provided, the ways you've come through. Thank you that we can bring 
the deepest thirst of our life to this table and hear you say, I am enough for you. And as we do that, we just kind of symbolically again, Lord, we just lay those trust envelopes again at your feet and say, Lord, we trust you. Whatever we can't see, how something, we, we trust you. And as an act of our trust, as an act of our worship, we come to the table. of our praise and we worship you now in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You're dismissed to the tables. You can spread out all around the room go as family units, individuals spread all around. Team will lead us in worship.